Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Any questions I ask myself. Alright, table fam, how are we feeling? <laughs> All right, some of us are very excited. This is awesome. Hey, if you haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Isaac. I'm one of the pastors here at First Orlando, and I help bring leadership here to the table. And over the summer, we've been going through the Gospel of John. So two weeks ago, we kicked off. Um, we continued last week, and we're continuing this week. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 4. Uh, it'll be on the screens as well. But this is the question that we're going to answer today. What do we do when our story is messy, right? What do we do when our story is messy? Now, I say that, and immediately some of you are like, I feel that messiness so deeply. Like, you don't need to explain anything anymore. Like, I just see that messiness. I'm in that messiness right now. I don't know how to process. The reason I say that is because for me, um, I did not really grow up in messiness, or so I thought. I actually grew up the opposite. I grew up really clean, right? So I grew up with these amazing parents that still to this day are incredibly loving and supportive toward me. Um, I went to a private Christian university for college, and I just grew up viewing my life as very clean. So when I go off to college, here's what I thought. I, was, I got my orders to stay clean, like, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, right, just to my family and everybody around me. I'm staying super clean. And then I got to college, and I just start seeing, like, these, like, puddles of, like, messiness. And I'm like, Ugh. Nope, 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 I'm staying clean, staying clean. Like, and I'm just trying to do whatever I can, right? So people would invite me, like, hey, Isaac, let's go out. And I'm like, ooh, that seems, ooh, I don't really, I don't even know what people do out. I just see things on TV. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm staying clean, so I'm going to avoid that, right? Um, or people, others would say, hey, Isaac, why don't you come over, right? And I'm like, ooh, I really don't know what you're about. Like, I'm just, that seems I'm not unsure about that. It seems messy to me. I'm just going to stay real clean just over here, right? And that worked out well for a lot of my life where, like, man, I'm doing such a good job being clean. Here's what I thought. Have you guys ever been to Dave & Buster's? Okay, it's the adult version of Chuck E. Cheese. Anybody? Um, okay, and Chuck E. Cheese is like the varsity version of CeCe's. Where they took, okay. So, so, I'm at, so imagine, like, I'm at Dave & Buster's, and here's how I thought. Every time I did something that was clean, I essentially viewed it as um, going and playing these games and getting tokens, right? So I did something clean, earn a token. Clean, earn a token. Avoid messiness, earn a token. And I had this big horde pile of tokens, right? And then I got to my mid-20s, and I was ready to cash in. I had done all my video game playing, and I was ready to cash in all of my tokens, and the thing that I wanted was on the top shelf, right? The big prize. For me, it was a relationship, right? So when I was ready to cash in all of my tokens, and I did, so I thought I cashed in all of my clean tokens, right, to get the relationship on the top shelf. And then I get the big teddy bear on the top shelf, and I got it, and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then after a week, it breaks. It's defective. This thing that I, that I thought that I earned, this thing that I worked so hard for, that I'm like, man, I'm being so clean. I have all of my clean tokens. I'm, I just earned, like, the big toy in the top shelf, and now I have it, and it's defective. And you know what? It, I'm not even joking, it absolutely destroyed me. My entire paradigm was shattered because my entire life, I thought my life was to live my life to be clean, right? And I thought if I did that, then I would get all of the things in my life that I wanted. And now here I am saying that doesn't work, 
What do you mean? And even like the people that I was hanging out with were like, Isaac, you, you really didn't need to live your life so clean. Ultimately, it didn't matter if you lived your life clean or not. And here's this. Actually, Isaac, um, we uh, wish that you would live, had lived your life a little messier because then you would be more relatable to all of us. My paradigm is shifted. My brain is broken. Now, there was a lot of untruth, nuances of what they were saying, um, but it didn't matter. It, it, it did what it was intended to do, which is absolutely break me, break my framework, break my paradigm. I was so disoriented. And you know how I responded? I was so mad at God. I was angry at God for months because God, what you, like I, I did the thing. I earned this. And now, like, now my life is this where I'm so disoriented and I don't even know what's going on. And I just felt, like, very confused and angry and sad. Um, and here's the worst part. Um, I didn't think I could talk about it. Because here's what was going on. During this time in my life, um, the outside, I was still really squeaky clean, right? But the inside, with all this, like, anger and frustration and just like not just I felt so messy on the inside uh, whenever my outside still appeared very clean but what I realized is the messiness that was now going on on the inside I realized the messiness on the inside had actually been going on for a long time I was just unaware right and now that I have so much messiness on the inside now all I want to do is just say forget this clean living I just want to now be go be messy on the outside so I could just be like everybody else so the question, what do we do when our life is messy? My suspicion is I'm not the only one who feels like life is messy, right? So look, there's family stuff going on in our lives, and it's messy. There's drama that's going on in our lives. There's conflict that's going on in our lives, and our life gets really messy. And here's what we do. Typically, for some of us, here's how we respond. So what do we do when our life gets messy? We see this messiness of our lives, and here's what we do. Shove it down, right? And nobody's going to know about this. Nobody's, we're not, I'm not going to talk about this ever. Nobody's going to know anything about this. I'm going to take this whole messiness. I'm going to, like, try to rein it in. I'm going to put it over here, put this in this little box, put a little bow on it, put it under my bed, behind. I'm good. We're fine. We don't need to talk about it anymore. What messiness? We're good, right? Now, that's some. Here's how others respond. Everybody should know my messiness all the time, all the time, every time. Hey, you stranger, hey, let me tell you about all of my messiness right? So we all respond um, in different ways. And I think the unifying thing is that even as we're processing, whether we're trying to like shove it down, whether we're trying to, whether we openly talk about it, oftentimes we feel shame, we feel anger, we feel fear and anxiety, all of these emotions as we're really trying to process what do we do when our story is messy. So as we're looking at John's gospel in John chapter 4, he's actually going to give us um, a framework for how to process our life when our life gets messy. So in John 4, we're going to be introduced to a woman who has a really messy story. So John 4. So he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So this is Jesus. Jesus is um, talking about Jesus left Judea and departed for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. We'll come back to that later. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, um, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Okay, so 
here's what's going on. So Jesus is going through this region of Samaria. So to know Jesus, uh, he was Jewish. And now he's moving from a Jewish region, about to go to another Jewish region. But in the middle is a region that is not Jewish. Um, There's Samaria or Samaritans. So there's a lot of cultural context. But the main idea to know is that Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Jews actually viewed Samaritans as like this like weird half-breed because they used to be kind of Jewish, but then they married people that weren't Jewish, and they started worshiping these gods that were not the same God of, of Israel, like the, the Jewish God. So it just created all this conflict. So typically Jews, Jews, when they had to go through Samaria, they wouldn't go through. They would go all the way around Samaria just to avoid dealing um, with the Samaritans. So to, in the Jewish context with this region was a lot of Jews, um, the Samaritans were essentially outcasts. Okay. They were the, these outcast people that kind of lived by themselves. And this woman, it says that she um, is going to the, the water well at around noon at six, after the sixth hour, but they counted time like at six o'clock, so you can always, so uh, it's about noon, so about the sixth hour, and she's by herself. Now, what do we know? Um, this is very stereotyping, please forgive me, but just, um, uh, when women do often do things together, right? Especially at this time. So whenever um, she was by herself, that was very uncommon because typically all the women would be together going to the water well. Um, So she essentially was the outcast of the outcast. This is the point I'm trying to make. She was the outcast of the... Maybe you feel this. Maybe you feel like your friend group is like the outcast of like normal society, and then you even feel like you're an outcast of your outcast friend group. If you feel that way, that's how this woman felt as well, right? So we keep going in verse 9. Um, so the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, right? For the Jews have no dealings um, with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who, it is saying t- and who that it is saying to you, give me a drink, um, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank it f- himself, as did the sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This woman is lonely. She's dejected. Right? She's just shame-filled. Like nobody has poured life into this woman. Nobody has offered this woman life. And now, in this time, it was really weird for a dude to come in now is offering her life. It's very, like, not at all what typically goes on in society at this time. So here's this man that's coming in, and he's offering her life. He's offering her a drink of water. Very different than her normal experience, as we'll keep reading um, with men. So um, when um, when I was in junior high... Uh, I ran track, right? So I know by looking at me, I, you can totally tell that I was eighth grade uh, champion, second place, really, in hurdles, right? Clearly, clearly. So I, so I, ran, I, ran, um, I ran hurdles and track. So during practice, we would have to get up at five in the morning 
uh, and then to get to practice by 5.30 a.m. I'm like 13, getting to school at 5.30 a.m., right? But I was like, I love track, and I said all the other guys. So we would go, we would practice, and we would have to run just circles and circles and circles and circles around the track. And whenever we were running circles, we would get <sighs> just tired. <sighs> and the coach would be like, off your knees, Trevino. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm just so tired, right? And, um, and then there's, um, we would get tired, and then eventually, so graciously, these coaches would allow us to have a water break. So whenever we would go for this water break, it was like this nasty, like from the like water hose into this PVC pipe where there was like just holes drilled into the PVC pipe. So then all the water would come rushing out. So like after a lap, you would get like a three-second break, get like one sip of this like gross, dirty, muddy PVC water. And then, and then they're like, all right, back on the track. We just have to like keep running and running and running and all right, break. And it just like that would go over and over and, until finally practice was over. And then we got to go inside and we got... The good water. You know, like in school, like the cold water fountain? Do you remember the cold water fountain? So essentially, we got to go inside, and I remember the, the fountain right outside the locker room. It was the coldest water fountain that I could ever remember in my life, right? So the reason I mention that, because essentially this woman, she's just running around the track over and over and over and over and over over again, where she just feels shame, and her, she's, her life is a mess, right? And she just keeps running around this track, and she doesn't know when things are going to get better, and she does the only thing, the sensible thing, is she goes to drink water at this, like, dirty PVC pipe uh, water, which she thinks is going to give her life. And then she's like, and then she just keeps running around the track, and it's not satisfying. And she keeps doing it, and doing it, and doing it, and doing it, and Jesus saying, hey, look, Get off the track. Go inside. Go get the good water fountain. Actually, I'm the one that's going to provide you the coldest water, this eternal life water. See, my suspicion is that some of us, we feel like we just keep going and going and going around the track. And we don't know when it's going to stop. And we keep going to the source that we think has filled us. This is the equivalent of this dirty PVC water thinking that's going to give us life. And we're so curious why it's not working. And we're frustrated and we're angry. And I think, if I can just offer hope, there's a better water fountain to keep the metaphor going. This water fountain that's going to last forever, that gives us life, right? Man, some of us, we just feel like with our job, we just keep going in circles, with our relationships going in circles, um, with the drama, just keep going in circles, with conflict, keep going in circles, and we don't know when it's going to end. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, now is the time you can have eternal water. Drink from my well. Don't drink from the dirty well that you're not going to keep getting um, uh, life from. Drink from this eternal life that I want to give you. All right, so he keeps, so here's how she, here's how Jesus responds to her in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. Why? Oof. Now it's like, almost like reality TV a little bit. For you have five husbands. Ooh. Right? And the one you have now is not your husband. Gasp. (gasps) Right? Like, what you have said is true. So look, this woman, she has a relationship with men, right? And she's had five husbands, and she's just trying to, keeps going to the same thing, keeps running around the track, running on the track, running around the track, thinking it's going to give her life, keeps going to the same water well. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, let me point something out to you. Um, I think it's possible 
that your life may be more of a mess than you're willing to admit. Essentially, this is the conversation that Jesus is having with her, right? So who are we in the story? In the story, there's Jesus and there's the woman. If we can identify with anybody in this story, I think we can, a lot of us, all of us, can identify with the woman, right? Where we're just trying to find life and purpose, and we're just trying to find it anywhere that we can get it, right? For some of us, it's partying. For some of us, it's sex and relationships. For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's gossip. For some of us, it's just pride. For some of us, it's lying and deceit. Like, we just go to that thing that we think is going to make us feel better, and we just keep running around the track, running around the track, running around the track, and Jesus is saying, hey, look, can we just have an honest conversation right now? Um, I think what we're currently, Jesus is telling us, hey, I think what you're currently doing isn't working. Is it possible to do something else, right? And, and then, um, typically, uh, we try to get out of our mess with more mess. I remember when I was living in, um, uh, I was living in for some years ago, I was living in an apartment. And um, this apartment, we would host uh, one of the life groups that uh, Britt so awesomely uh, set up for groups that we have here. So a few years ago, my apartment hosted a life group. Well, um, uh, one day, um, it's, uh, some uh, weeks after the life group had ended and after the season, um, I came home and I just hear the smell. Or not here, that's weird. <laughs> Thank y'all for paying attention. Um, I smell the smell and I'm like, oh, and it kind of smelled like a thrift store. Like it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good, right? It just kind of smelled musty and I'm like, what is that smell? Like, for me, like, I don't like weird smells. Like, it just, weird smells just really get to me really quickly. So I'm like, what is that smell? What had happened was um, one of the group members, as almost like a, a thank you for hosting this life group in the fall, gifted me, this is very, very oddly specific, a pumpkin. A pumpkin. To, for like, hey, thank you for hosting this fall life group. Here's a pumpkin. Right? I'm like, that's weird. Okay. So, so I get the pumpkin. And, you know, so it's sitting there, and, you know, and it, the life group had ended a few weeks earlier, so now the pumpkin had been sitting there for a few weeks. And I go, and now I see the pumpkin, and I'm like, oh, and I get closer to the pumpkin, and I'm like, yep, that's, that's the smell. So now I try to, like, get rid of the smell. I try to clean up the mess. So I get the pumpkin, and I pick it up, and as soon as I pick it up, the bottom just gushes out talk about smell. And I'm like, oh, like now the pumpkin is everywhere, right? So then what do I do? Then I try to get uh, paper towels, but it wasn't the good kind of paper towels. It wasn't bouncy. It was like the cheap version of paper towels. So I get the cheap version of paper towels, and I'm trying to clean up the mess, and here's what I'm doing. I'm smearing it. And even worse, because um, the, the, the thing that the pumpkin was sitting on was this like, um, uh, uh, what is this called? Uh, a d table? Yeah, but it's like, like a See, I'm not, it was like, like a, decorative a decorative, decorative table. A shel shelving unit? Decorative table. Sure, we'll go with that. Okay. So it was like a brown uh, 36 by 18 decorative table. Okay, the dimensions are important. Because you know I didn't have a lot of space to work with as I was trying to clean it up. So as I'm trying to clean it up, this uh, 36 by 18 brown thing, decorative table, thank you, um, I'm trying to clean it up, and here's what I'm doing. I'm just smearing it, and even worse, the pumpkin juice is now getting on the carpet. I, here's what I did. I tried to clean up the mess, right? And what I did is essentially I made things worse 
by now going from a hard surface to the carpet. Here's what we do when we try to clean up our mess. When our life gets messy and we try to clean it up, we just smear things and we make it worse, right? That's typically what happens um, whenever we, we try to clean up our mess, right? This woman is a mess and she kept trying to, you know, marriage number one's not working out. So, okay, let me go to marriage number two. Clean up her mess. Okay, that's not working out. Marriage number three. Okay, well, that's not working out. Marriage number four. Okay, well, I don't think marriage is for me, but now I'm just going to live with person number five who's not my husband, right? I think that's so relatable for us, though, is that we just try to clean up our mess, and it just, we just oftentimes just make it worse. So the conversation continues, and they get in, I'm a, we're going to skip over some verses. Essentially what's going on is um, they get into a conversation and an argument where, like, Jesus is trying to be real because he just called her out, right? And then what she does is she, like, then hides behind Bible verses, right? Um, to, to hide behind spiritual things. Essentially what's, um, you know, like whenever you ask somebody how they're doing and then they say, and you like, you know, like they just show up and they're like, that when nobody's looking and like, you just know they're not okay. And you know, a little stuff, like some of the stuff they're posting on, uh, I was about to say Facebook. I just dated myself. Um, Instagram or TikTok. Um, it's like posting something you, like, you know, like they're not okay. But then you ask them, Hey, how are you? And they say, Immediately, because then they got called out, they, like, start smiling. It's so forced. I'm great. I'm good. Everything's fine. And you're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. God is good. I'm just going to claim victory over my life. God's amazing. Thank you. Woo! And you're like, you are not okay. (laughs) That's essentially what's going on, right? Where she's just, Jesus calls her out, and she just starts hiding and starts trying to say these Christian phrases. Of like, hey, let's have a spiritual conversation, even though I know my life's in shambles. And Jesus is like, hey, I want to have a spiritual conversation, but that spiritual conversation is going to happen by talking about your life that's in shambles. Right? So then she says here, we're eventually through the conversation. Um, Jesus did it so much more graciously than I just kind of talked about just now. (laughs) Where we're now in verse 25, he says this. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Right? So she knows she's waiting for somebody to come who can make her life better. And here's how Jesus responds, where he says, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This person that she had been waiting for had arrived. And he was saying, hey, look, I'm the person that's going to give you eternal life. I'm the person that's going to give you this water where you're never going to be thirsty again. So in, keep reading in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town and were coming to him. All right, so she leaves her water jar. The very thing that she went there for, she left right? Because when we encounter Jesus, the things that we think that we want, we actually don't want anymore, right? When I'm doing my Dave and Busters and I think that I want the top shelf thing and then it's defective and I realize, man, I think Jesus actually wants to give me something better than I could have ever imagined, right? Jesus doesn't want to give us broken toys on the top shelf of Dave and Busters. And here's how she said it though. She said, come see the man who told me all I ever did. And then she says this, this is so interesting. Can this be the Christ? Having questions is a really good place to be. A lot of times we think that whenever we start following Jesus or what it takes to start following Jesus is having all the answers. 
and then we start following Jesus, and some of you have experienced that now, and some of you um, probably will soon, like you start following Jesus, and if, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know this has happened whenever you started, you start following Jesus, and you realize, I feel so behind of everybody else. Everyone else, I, I sense that everyone else has all the answers, and because I don't have all the answers, I just have a lot of questions, I feel like I'm not worthy compared to everybody else. And here is such a beautiful picture of this woman who's a mess as we are, who leads with questions as we can, knowing that this is a really good place to be whenever we just have questions on who he is, right? So this woman, man, she used to run from people, but now she runs to people with her message, with the message of Jesus. So here's the big idea. Your mess is your message. Your mess is your message. That thing that we feel shame about is actually the thing that God wants to use in order to use us to have a message about him. That thing that we try to lock away in a box that we don't want anybody to know that we don't want to think about, that's the thing that God wants to use to use you for his glory and for his kingdom and to spread his name. Your mess is your message. As Britt said it earlier, I think it's perfect, right? Whenever we just have these um, hosts and these t-shirts, we say it all the time that we're a banquet for the broken. And that's essentially what we mean is that nobody here is perfect. Nobody here is perfect, right? We're all broken. We all have a mess, right? And in our mess, we don't need to feel like we have all the answers. We just need to know we can ask the right questions and we can have people ask us the questions about who Jesus is and how Jesus can step in to our mess to make, to make it our message, right? Man, this woman, her, her, life, it, and it, her life is very different, very different than what she imagined as a little girl. There's not a single little girl that imagines her life is going to be married five times. Nobody. And Jesus takes that and steps into her life, sees the mess, and wants to offer her eternal life, right? Um, I, I love this. Uh, this is from um, William P. Smith, um, who's a, a teacher at Westminster Theology Seminary. He says, our stories serve as a dark backdrop in which Jesus can shine. As you think through our stories, as we think through our mess, right, and we're like, man, that's really dark, yeah, it is dark, and Jesus wants to come in to bring healing and wholeness and restoration in which, Jesus, in which he can shine, right? And that's the message that we can have for us, because some of us, um, we have this new healing and hope in Jesus. And now, here's what we need to do. We need to take that healing and hope in Jesus and to give it to others, Right? And now some of us, I think we feel shame for talking about our stories um, because we just feel like, man, what are people going to think about me? I don't know. And here's just a beautiful picture, right, and how Jesus comes in and our stories now can be this dark backdrop in which Jesus, um, Jesus can shine. There are parts of my story that I hate, absolutely despise, Right? Um, I hate that for a lot of my 20s, I was like lying and hiding things from people. Um, so like the, and the reason I did that is because, um, again, I wanted to give the perception of um, being clean. So I would just hide things and try to minimize things um, because I didn't want people to view me as being a messy person on the inside and on the outside. So I would just do a lot of like um, uh, politicking and kind of framing things in a certain way. Um, I, I hate, I hate um, parts of my story where I would feel lonely and then I would act out because I feel lonely. Um, I hate um, parts of my story where I feel like I um, put myself in situations where I was taken advantage of. 
Um, I hate parts of my story, the just emotionally mean needing, like I need approval um, all, all the time. Um, I hate, still to this day, <laughs> I hate feeling hurried and, and stressed because of that, and then I don't give people the attention that they need. Like, I, I hate that's part of me. I hate that's part of my story. I hate that I have encounters with people where they're like, yes, Isaac, I can tell you um, 14 times uh, whenever you were just really hurried, whenever I just wanted your attention. Like, I, I, hate, I'm, I hate that about my story, right? I don't like that about myself. Um, and Jesus, here's what he does. Jesus takes all the ways that I've been harmed, all the ways that I've harmed others, he takes all the parts about me. He takes all the parts about my story. He takes all the parts about me that are just like me. He takes the good parts about me. He takes the bad parts about me. And he puts it all together. And he says, Isaac, here is you. I see you. I see your story. I see your mess. And I love you. And I'm bringing healing into this mess. And I'm going to continue to bring healing into this mess because... Um, I want you to have this just vibrant relationship with me where you no longer feel condemnation with your mess. I've given you eternal water. Constantly drink from this eternal fountain that I give you where you don't feel anger and shame and fear and anxiety about your story. And you can take this hope that I'm giving you and you can take it to share others. That's exactly what the woman did. Right? So how can we share our mess? We know that there are broken people that are hurting, some of us have a new life in Christ and we have new hope, but we still may feel shame with sharing our stories. So how can we share our stories in a way that brings healing and hope in Jesus to others? So in four ways. Number one, you have to be able to name your mess. You have to be able to name it, right? Some of us, um, we, we get our mess and we kind of like lock it away in a box and we don't think about it. And then it ha you, here's what happens. When you can't name something, it has power over you. When you can't name exactly the thing that's going on, what you're feeling, some of the things that you've been through, it just has, the, it, it almost becomes like a, an, um, I'm totally also dating myself as a millennial. I'm about to make a Harry Potter reference. Um, I know that's uncool now. Uh, he who should not be named, right? And then they're like, wait a second, let's just call them Voldemort, right? Because when we just call him Voldemort, he no longer has the power over us. Whenever it's like that thing that should not be named, it has power over you. Right? So there's some things in our life that we're like, man, that's the thing that should not be named. We're not going to speak that person by name. Um, we're not going to talk about that situation. We're just going to keep that thing way over there, and here we are, and we think that we've dealt with it by avoiding it. When you name something and you look something in the face and you know that it's not by your power, it's by the power of Jesus to be able to look at that thing and name it and name your mess, that's where you start getting control over it to where it no longer controls you. And until that happens... Um, your story, sharing your story gets really messy. Because as you talk about it, you're like, yeah, there's this really big, powerful thing over there that I'm absolutely terrified of, but I'm actually great. It's great. It's great. I just don't go to that place ever. And people are like, and I'm great, and I'm good. And people that are aware are like, you are not okay. I think you need to deal with that thing. Right? And you're like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually better. I actually like not having to deal with it. I like having my life constricted. You have to name your mess. And number two, um, <laughs> uh, don't use your mess to get attention. For some of us, our stories get really messy, and it almost becomes, uh, as I was joking earlier, almost like this like reality TV thing, 
right? To where, like, we, some of us love reality TV because we just love all the details. We're like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, and we love the drama, right? And we love the tea, and we love sipping the tea, and we just love everything about it, right? And we know that these people on television that are just, like, pouring out their lives that are so messy and unhealthy, and we just can't get enough of it, we're like, oh, well, that's how you get attention. So let me just say all the ugly parts of my story as a way to get attention, right? And I'm not actually dealing with it. I'm just using it as a way to get attention, right? And we, we see this, right? Remember, um, if you're in a, um, if you're in a group setting, uh, maybe one way to think about this is people that overshare. So it's like your very first time meeting somebody, right? Your very first time, and instantly, right, you may feel like you become best friends, and then they, like, share, like, their deepest, starkest stuff, like, on day one. And then you may think, okay, well, maybe this person has good intentions. Maybe we just have this special connection, whether it be somebody from the opposite gender, um, somebody from the same gender. Um, just, we just have this special connection. And, um, and then you realize, oh, it's not me. They do this with everybody. Right? Because some, sometimes, some, some of us, we use our stories um, to get attention, right? And then we'll even, like, um, give, like, a play-by-play, a, a -play, like, of the thing, of the messy situation, where you just start going, like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. This was maybe, like, seven years ago, and you're still, like, giving the play-by-play, -play, or people, as you're hearing people, they're still giving, like, the, the detailed play-by-play. That's not what the woman did in the story, Here's what she said. She said, come see a man who told, me, who told me all that I ever did. She didn't use her story to get attention. She used her story to put the attention on Jesus. It's very different. Very different to use stories um, to, um, uh, to, to put the attention, attention on Jesus. Right? Um, number three. Start processing your mess one-on-one. -on -one. Right? Okay, so if we know, if you maybe you're, you're, we're here and we're like, okay, well, I don't want to use my story to get attention, but I also want to either, like, I just don't ever talk about it, or, and I don't want to, like, overshare, so I don't know what to do. Here's, here's what to do. Um, start processing your mess one-on-one. -on -one. Okay? I want you to find the godliest person you know and ask to meet with them to share your story. I want you to find a counselor or a therapist to sit with to start processing your story. Right? I want you to find um, a trusted mentor to sit with to process your story. Find the safest, godliest person you know to start processing your story one-on-one -on -one if you've never shared your story before. And they're going to help guide to tell you you can start weeding out because at first all we have are details and we don't know like what the truth is or the linear thing in those details and what the theme is in those details. So as we're sharing it, we don't know what to say and what not to say. So by meeting with a trusted, a really godly friend you have or with um, a mentor or with a counselor, um, they'll help you frame your story in a way. Um, the woman did this. She had the best counselor of all time. She had Jesus Christ himself to process, right? She's sitting with him. Jesus is doing a one-on-one -on -one with her, straight up. The disciples had gone away to get food, and Jesus is doing a one-on-one -on -one with her at the well. And Jesus is helping her process her life, right? So as we start, and then that, that helped her frame her story in order for her to be able to go out and to share her story, to simply say, come see a man who told me all that I ever did, right? Number four, continually ask, how is Jesus the hero of my mess? How is Jesus the hero of my mess? If we don't have this answer, we don't know how to share our story well. Right? 
For some of us, Jesus has done amazingly incredible things in our lives, right? And we know very well how he's, how he's the hero. And as we share our story, like we just share what we need to share just to get the focus off of us, but as a way to connect with others um, to point people to Jesus, right? So we need to continually ask, how is Jesus the hero of my story? How specifically has he come in to heal me? How has he come in to redeem me? How has he come in to make me whole? How is Jesus the hero of my story? How the things that I used to do, I don't do anymore because Jesus showed me a better way, right? The relationships that I used to have, Jesus actually gave me new relationships, right? Um, This unhealthy thing, conflict that was going on in my life, Jesus showed me how to really do conflict resolution really well. How is Jesus um, the hero of my mess? So I was actually talking with um, my wife, and um, she, I'm not going to share her story, but she has an incredible story. And here's the one thing takeaway, what she felt was um, God um, telling her as she was processing her story, as she had gone through the process to really process, starting to share her story. um, Here's what she felt God was telling her. I want you to be able to tell your story in a way you won't be able to leave my name out of it. As we process our stories, as we process the mess in our lives, are we thinking about it through a way in which we can't even fathom sharing our story without sharing how Jesus is the hero and how Jesus comes in to give us eternal life and how Jesus comes in to make us whole and to redeem us? So wrapping up, I want, to, I want you to see what the, what the result was um, in verse 39 where it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. This is, this, this is incredible, verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Here's what sharing our story does. It gets the fo- excuse me, it gets the focus off of us and it puts the focus on Jesus. And now people no longer, we use our story as a way to connect with people so we can point them to Jesus, right? And then we can get out of the way. And now people can have this awesome relationship with Jesus. But we become the vehicle that God uses to connect with them, to relate, to relate with them, right? You're sitting across the table one-on-one from somebody, they start sharing about their life, right? And you're like, oh, actually, can I can I tell you my story? And then you start sharing your story and their eyes get this big. Because you too? You went through that? I thought I was the only one. Whoa, this is really weird and creepy and amazing. This is the power of our story, the power of hope and healing through Jesus. So I remember um, uh, about and a year and a half ago, I was in another very um, messy situation. I didn't really know how to process. And uh, one of my mentors, um, some, of you, some of you know him, uh, Doug, so he probably told me one of the best messages that I ever heard, via, and he told it to me on a text message. <laughs> and here's what he said. He's like, Isaac, man, I, I see what you're feeling. I know you would wish you could go back and change some things. I know you're fearful about some things coming up. Um, and he quoted to me the lyrics of the song that we sang before that we're actually about to sing again. He quoted to me the lyrics, the first verse of Here Again, um, which is strange to me because Doug doesn't really like contemporary worship music. Um, but, he used, but he used this line where he says, um, Isaac, look, can't go back to the beginning. You can't control what tomorrow may bring. But I know here in the middle, 
is the place where you promise to be. This is God talking, or this is us talking to God. And in our stories, in our mess, we wish we would change some things. We're very fearful about how things may be in the future, but we know right here is where God wants us to help us process um, the stories of healing and restoration. So we're going to sing to respond. Um, we'll have a team I'm in the back. I'm just going to pray for you if you want some prayer as you process your story and some of the mess that you may be going through right now. I'll pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for your love. Um, thank you for just for, for loving us. God, thank you just for bringing healing into our stories like you did in the woman at the well. God, and I just pray for us now that we don't feel shame, we don't feel conviction, we don't feel condemnation. God, that we know, um, man, that you love us. I just pray for my friends here. Man, God, in the name of Jesus, some, some of the chains in our stories may break tonight that are breaking. God, I just pray for the feeling that some of us are feeling right now on the inside with just the garbage that we've gone through. And God, that you will, for the first time, give some of us peace. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.